You're listening to How She Creates. I'm your host, Lauren Hooper. This podcast is for the curious, the wanderer and the wanderers, the playful and the joyful. Every week, we're going to explore how to design a life full of creativity and whimsy. Now let's get curious and go explore something. Welcome to one of the most requested episodes of How She Creates. Today's guest is hands down the most referenced person on this podcast. All of my other guests, myself, everyone always talks about this person. So I know you guys are going to be so excited to welcome Elise Blaha Kripe from Elise Joy from Get to Workbook on to how she creates today. Elise, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I know everyone is thrilled to hear from you and we're so it's so exciting because this week we are celebrating the launch of your new book. Yes, I know. Finally, it feels like it's been a long time, so this is exciting. Yeah. So, okay. So give us like the quick plug of what it is. Um, yeah. But so the book is called Big Dreams, Daily Joys, and I call it a guidebook to goal setting. And the objective of the book is to mostly help you remain calm with all of the things going on in your life. So we talk about handling just the day-to-day normal tasks um, and ideally coming up with ways to be more productive and clear some space with those so that you can make room for the stuff that brings you joy. So for the fun big, brave goal setting. Um, And it's everything that I know. It's everything that I've kind of been writing about and sharing about for the last 10 years packed into a book. So I'm, I'm thrilled that it's finally live. Yeah. And it is so fantastic. You guys, I've read it. I'm in love with it. I can't wait to get my physical copy in the mail so that I can go through and highlight and you know, bookmark the whole thing. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today, how to create a life that is productive and full of joy so that you can take control of your time and you'll be able to have room for the fun stuff like all the hobbies. Elise is a hobby extraordinaire. Mm-hmm. And so she's going to share all her wisdom for you guys today about how we can make our creative hobbies um, an important part of our lives. And so Elise, we skipped right in. I feel like everyone knows who you are, but in case they don't, will you give us like a quick bio of who you are and where everyone can find you? Yeah, definitely. So in 2005, I started a blog. This was the very early days of blogging. Um, For the most part, people who were blogging in 2005 were just sharing you know, little details about their life. It was nothing like the entire industry that it is now. And I was in college at the time. And so I just shared kind of random adventures from college and things I was doing on my internship. So all sorts of like little projects. Um, and then I graduated college and I started working at a craft store called Paper Source. And from when I was working there, I started to get even more into paper crafting and making little books and Um, all sorts of things and letterpress prints. And I I kind of, I felt like an entire paper world opened. And so I started an Etsy shop in 2007 and I sold, you know, small items, like little, little batch items. Um, And I kind of, you know, did that for a couple of years. I tried a lot of different things. I taught a couple e-courses, all sorts of, you know, (laughs) various projects. And then my biggest, I feel like kind of kicked off for me creatively was a project called Make 29. And I sold limited edition products um, every month for a year. And they were editions of 29 or 290. They were all different. It was like knit blankets and 
um, clutches and prints and posters and plant stands. It was, it was all sorts of stuff. Um, and that felt like a big creative project that got me going. Um, it was, it was my most successful thing. And then during that project in 2014, I came up with the idea for my planner, which is called get to workbook. And from get to workbook, the planner, I've launched a bunch of different products all related to goal setting and getting stuff done. So that sort of, that takes us pretty much to now. (laughs) Awesome. And okay. So everyone loves you because you do so many different things. I feel like you really embody the crafter, you know, who's not like, oh, I'm a, you know, portrait artist. Um, But we can all relate to how many different things that you like to create and to do. So can you tell us like, what's your favorite thing, at least right now that you're creating? Yeah, I always, this question, you're so right. I I struggle because I can't define the thing. So yeah, I just say like, yeah, I just make a lot of stuff. Um, My favorite thing right now um, is sewing. I'm I'm sewing a lot of garments. Um, I got back into that a couple years ago and I feel like it stuck with me a lot this past year. So I sew a ton of clothes, um, 99% for myself. I don't, I have two little girls, but I don't sew for them very often. Um, Yeah, that's been the most exciting right now. Yeah. It's really, it's been really fun to watch your journey and watch you, you know, you're working towards making almost an entire wardrobe, right? Yeah. yeah that's the goal. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. So you do a lot of different things, but do you feel like you have a creative process that you follow anytime that you're going to start creating something? Yes. I feel like my very kind of what happens is my interest is peaked and sometimes my interest is peaked based on something I saw on Instagram, right? Like Randomly on the explore page, I saw this really awesome pottery, um, or I, you know, saw someone who was experimenting with a cool quilting technique, something like that. Um, that's sort of the spark. And then my step two is basically Googling. Like, so for pottery, for example, I, you know, searched Yelp and I Googled to see if there was a pottery studio local to me in San Diego and one popped up. And so I immediately called and signed up for classes. Um, with other things that I don't have to take a class for, I just, it's more of like a Google search to figure out what the supplies are. And then um, depending on how much my interest is peaked, um, I order the supplies and I kind of dive in and I fully expect my first couple things to be terrible. Um, and, but still during that process, it's figuring out like, do I like this? You know, if, if this wasn't, you know, if, if the results weren't terrible, would I like this? Um, and if that's, if that does feel like the case, then I try to, you know, dive deeper and explore more. Awesome. So I think that brings us to a really good point that you make in the book. You talk about, you give your advice on the fear of getting started and you say how to get over it is you just get into it. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us how you kind of make that shift and you're not afraid to just go for it? Yeah, I think that we're waiting for something to feel, you know, a lot of times we have an idea and we're waiting for that idea to feel comfortable or for that idea to feel easy. And I don't think that's ever happening. I I don't think that that new thing that you want to try is ever going to feel easy or comfortable until you start. And so that's sort of my whole thesis. And the thing I'm always trying to push people towards is it's supposed to be hard, you know, or uncomfortable, or you're supposed to feel silly, or the work that you create is supposed to be terrible in the beginning. Um, that's the process. And so for me, um, 
I think that I have just had a lot of practice realizing that that's how it is. And so I'm more comfortable with it. And I just want, I just want to encourage people to, you know, do the same and, and not expect too much in the beginning. I love that. And so I also love how much you focus on hobbies, you know, versus, you know, having to make a living off of this new fun thing that you started. So you talk about in the book, when you're starting a new hobby or a new project that you have to kind of be a juggler and you have to focus on one thing at a time, but most creative people want to do a million creative projects all at one time. So what's your advice for those of us who have more ideas than time? How can we do it all? Yeah, I hear this a lot. And, you know, I mentioned I've been blogging for so long. And so for a very long time, I've been connecting with people and sharing things. And I so often get emails or or I I hear from people who just say, you know, I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. And I have this idea. And, you know, it's sort of like a dump of ideas. (laughs) Um, I hear that so frequently. And my response always, you know, to those people and to anyone listening is, okay, good. You know, make a list, write down all of those 10 things you're excited about right now. And then you can only pick one. And the example I use in the book is the juggler, because if you ever watch someone juggle, they don't take three balls and throw them up all at the same time and start. They throw up one and then they throw up another and they throw up the third. And so they get it kind of going. And the way that they're doing that is by adding one thing at a time. And so I think we have to accept um, we can't do it all today. Um, So it's just, it's adding that one and it's realizing that there is going to be enough time for the things that interest you. But if you try to dive in on eight projects at once, you will not be able to do them and you'll be disappointed and you'll struggle. And that is just so discouraging. And so I'm always saying, try your one thing, you know, let that get successful, get comfortable doing that one thing, and then you can add in more. Yeah. But what about the people who are saying, well, I have so much to do. You know, I've got this to-do list and I've got all this housework to do. How are you shifting your mindset to letting yourself take on these fun, creative challenges? Like you, you know, you garden, you sew, you're doing a cookbook challenge. How, How do you let go of that? Yeah. I think you start with something small and manageable. So the cookbook challenge, for example, I just started this a couple of days ago. Um, in my house, you know, my husband and I already cook dinner. We cook dinner most nights. And so we're already going to the store. We're already getting the supplies. We're already making dinner and we're already eating it. And so I've just decided to make that more fun and make that more of a um, exciting experiment versus just routine. And so um, that's an example of where you're already doing something like you're maybe you're already commuting two hours. So you already have two hours out of your day that are gone. Um, what can you start to do during those two hours, right? If you're, if you're driving, you can start renting audiobooks from the library and you can make a goal to get through more books. You can come up with something that you're really interested in and start listening to podcasts on that topic. Like you can inject something more exciting and something more um, interesting into the stuff you're already doing. So that would be my example if you feel incredibly if you, if you already feel like your time is stretched incredibly thin. Um, and then something else I would suggest is, you know, take stock, make a, make a list all day long of what you're doing. How are you spending your time? Um, and think about, is there a way that you can kind of organize those pockets of time a little bit better, or you can combine a couple things. So for example, if you find that you check your email 40 times during the day, right? Like you, you, kept track and 40 times during the day you checked your email 
what if you cut that email checking down to three times a day? That was it. You checked it at eight, you checked it at noon, you checked it at five. Um, just that, like kind of streamlining, streamlining your email process can give you a little bit more time. And I know, like, I, I feel like this is hard and, and I don't want you to just think that you have to do eight different things at once, but try one thing, right? Like try keeping track, try getting some audiobooks, um, try finally going through your Pinterest of those 600 recipes you've pinned and picking two of them that you're going to try this, this week. Um, just little baby steps I think are so important. Oh, I think that's such good advice. And it, you know, it takes the pressure off of having to do this big project or become, you know, a serious potter or a serious painter. You know, we can just start dabbling in the idea um, and just slowly start making steps. And I love how you explain that so well in the book. Um, so you talk about what the word seriously means in the book. So you say that serious means something is important, valuable, and of substance. And when you begin to take the things that you are doing or want to be doing seriously, we allow those activities to have their significant space. And you're saying, yes, this thing is meaningful and I'm adding it to my life because it is important to me. So why are hobbies important at all? Why should we be finding these pockets of time and infusing hobbies into our life? Yeah, I think that for, I, I can't say that for every single person, you know, finding a meaningful hobby is important, right? Like obviously, you know, if you, if you don't have hobbies, but you feel great and satisfied and creatively challenged, that's amazing. Um, but for me, I've found that adding something extra. So, you know, I have to take care of my kids. I have to do my job. I have to, you know, stay fed and those are the basics. Um, and then adding something extra on top of that is what gives me the creative energy to do all of the other things. And so I find that, and, and I don't think that a hobby has to be pottery. I don't think it has to be painting. It definitely doesn't have to be anything huge where you need a ton of supplies or money. It can be as simple as reading, um, reading a book that's interesting, reading fiction that excites you. Like that can be an awesome, rewarding hobby. Um, just going out for a walk 15 minutes a day can be an awesome and rewarding hobby. Um, I, I have just found that adding something. And then when I talk about, you know, taking it seriously to me, that means scheduling it in, making sure that I know it's important, making sure the people around me know it's important, right? So making sure that my husband understands that, um, you know, Tuesday nights, I'm going to go to pottery class for the next three months, like making sure that he knows that this is something that I'm committing to and want to be doing. Um, that's what I mean by taking it seriously is just giving it time and space in your schedule because you know, it matters to you. Yes, that is really important to explain to others around you that what you're doing is important to you. How do you navigate that with your partner of having that conversation to create those, that space? Yeah, I think that a lot of times I talk about this you know, in the book and I've talked about a lot in my work is just saying your goals out loud. So telling people, you can tell the internet, you can tell your parents, you can tell your friend, you can tell anyone. Um, what it is that you want to do, right? So this could be huge. I want to um, visit every national park in the next five years, or it could be smaller. Like I want to make time to read for five minutes a day. It doesn't really matter. Um, I think you have to say it out loud so that you can kind of see, like, I think when, when we say something out loud in our heart and like in our head, we're like, 
am I serious? Like, do I really want to do this? Um, and so I think there's a lot of value in just that little gut check for yourself. Um, and then when you tell people like your partner or, you know, whoever, um, ideally <laughs> in a supportive situation, they're going to want to help you do that. They're going to want to make sure that you have the time and the space to do the thing that you're trying to do. I think if you encounter pushback, like if people, the per- people in your life say, oh, you can't do that, or um, I don't want you to do that, or they just question, like, how are you going to do that? Um, then I think it's important to have a further discussion. Like, what, um, why are they scared of the thing that you're trying to do? Or can you kind of negotiate? Like, maybe there's something that they want to work on. And so maybe you're going to take the kids Tuesday nights while they do their thing, and they're going to take the kids Wednesday nights while you try yours. So maybe you can figure out a way that you can both be working towards a goal by kind of helping each other out. That is a really good idea. And if you guys remember the episode that I did about how we schedule our time, the episode is called how to do anything you want. Um, I kind of share how Terrell and I negotiate that and how we sit down together and create our schedule. And so if you want a little bit more insight on more of what that looks like, you guys should listen to that episode and I will link it in the show notes. Um, but Elise also talks about some really fun stuff about obviously creating time for this, um, in the book, but I like that you do go in depth about how to use people's resistance and pushback to help you make decisions and to help you figure out if that's a good decision for you or not. So that is a really good bit of um, helpful information for people there. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. Okay. Speaking of how to create time to do these fun extra things. I love how you explain how you assign certain tasks to to pockets of time, depending on your energy level. Can you explain this to us and share how we can use this concept to prioritize time for art, for creating, for our fun things? Yes, definitely. So I mean, obviously you're awake. So for, for your awake hours, right? 16 hours a day, you're awake. Or more than that, hopefully. I don't know. Um, And what what I'm trying to say is that um, your time or your energy and your excitement and your level of productivity is going to vary so much during that day, like during during your awake hours. And so something, I think this kind of goes back to keeping track of how you're spending your time um, just keeping a little schedule. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's just you know a scratch piece of paper by your computer. Um, and then it's figuring out when do you feel the most excited? When do you feel the most sluggish? Um, when can you count on like just needing to sit down and stare at your phone for 15 minutes? Um, and then schedule your time around that. So come up with the projects that are going to make the most sense when you're feeling your most up or your most down. And so for an example, um, when I'm handling email, I don't need to be my most creative locked on. Um, or when I'm having lunch, like I don't need to be feel it, be feeling my most excited. Um, but I've often found that right after I drop off my girls at school and daycare, um, I come home and I have a burst of energy, a burst of creative energy. And so back when I was writing the book, this was the absolute best time for me to stand at my computer and start writing. Like that's when I felt my most excited and motivated. Um, and then, you know, maybe after two hours, I was kind of hitting a slump and I needed to do something different. Um, maybe that was a perfect opportunity to kind of pick up the house or, you know, get a load of laundry done or do something that didn't need that same 
creative uh, juice. And so that's my recommendation for people. It's like, if you just feel like you're kind of slogging along um, or you feel like you're, you're not inspired when you need to be inspired. um, It may be that you're not inspired at three o'clock in the afternoon and that's okay. You know, use that time for something different if you can. That is such a good idea. And then how do you work that in? You know, let's say you're spending a full day at the warehouse packing orders and then, you know, then you come home to the girls and your husband. How are you finding pockets of time in the evening and kind of around that more kind of traditional schedule? Yeah, definitely. I think that it depends. So in those situations, like when I'm having a really busy day in other, you know, other things are going on. I'm at the warehouse constantly, or the girls are homesick or whatever. Um, then it sort of becomes more what, what's something I can do, right? Like what is one thing that I can make progress on instead of, Oh, look at this. I have six hours of free time. It's like, I have six minutes. Like, um, what is the one thing I can get done? And I think part of making sure you're able to take advantage of six minutes of time or, you know, two hours of time while your kid is napping is making sure that you know what's next. So you know, for whatever project you're doing, maybe it's something for fun or it's something for work, you know what the next step is when you have the opportunity to do it. And so that's why I, you know, again, like, of course I talk a lot about to-do lists, a lot about planning, because I, I feel like there's real value in when you finally have a moment, you're not wasting that moment, just trying to figure out what to do. You'll kind of already know it in the back of your head. Yes. And tell us more about your idea of doing nothing. I really struggle with this, um, of wanting to fill my time and not set aside time for nothing. I love the illustration in the book of this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, what do you call those? Not a podium, a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. A pedestal. Yeah, it's a little yeah. pedestal and it's like reserved for nothing. So it's not open. So you can't put something on it. It's reserved. Um, so tell us about how you do that. Yeah. I, the situation, I guess, that I explain in the book is I remember when I was younger, like in high school, um, people would say, oh, what are you doing tonight? Or what are you doing this weekend? And I would say nothing. And then they would say, oh, like, do you want to blah, blah, blah? You know, do you want to do X? And, I, and I, I'm an introvert. And so I'd be like, no, no, no. Like nothing is the thing. Like I, I'm doing nothing on purpose. Um, for me, like the way that I get energy, the way I get ideas is by kind of shutting down and not talking and and not doing something active. And so that's just something that because of my personality, because of the way that I feel inspired, I have to make sure that I have that space. Um, I think we hear this a lot with kids. It's like, you know, it's kind of a fear, right? That our kids are never bored anymore. And if they're not bored, they can't be creative and they can't push themselves. And I think the same is true for adults in that if we don't take a few minutes or, you know, half an hour or some time, you know, some part of a weekend to not have anything scheduled. Um, I think that can contribute to this feeling that we're behind. Um, it can contribute to this feeling that we're rushed. And so a lot of times that space, like, again, I don't, I don't think it has to be a ton, but if you can build something into your week or something into your weekend where nothing is on the agenda, um, that's where I think you can get your ideas and your energy for whatever might come next. Do you do the Enneagram? Do you know what number you are? Yeah, I'm a three. (laughs) Okay. So I am a seven. So I have the opposite problem is I will say I'm doing nothing even if I have something planned because I want to do all the things and I really struggle with overfilling my schedule. And it kind of links to that idea of what you're saying that I feel behind if I 
do schedule kind of nothing time that I'm going to be creative. Mm -hmm. And so I just love so much how you explain, you know, and you, your book walks you through the process of getting on track and figuring out what you're doing so that you're not disorganized and you don't feel like what you just said, like you're missing out, you know, you should be using this time to do chores or to do other work. And so I think the book is so, so helpful for that so that I feel guilt-free when I create that nothing time and I, you know, put it on its pedestal and give it the space that it needs. That was a really, really vivid um, image that really helped stick in my mind and change the way I thought about that downtime. So that was genius. Yeah. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. You know, you mentioned the guilt and I I feel like that is just something that comes up. Like we we do, um, we, you know, we, we do have this feeling that if we're not doing something, um, then something is getting left undone or, you know, we're letting someone down, or maybe if we don't do something, that means we could have committed to that other thing that we said no to. And I hear that. I I think that that is so normal. Um, something that I have just found is when I'm able to give a little bit of space, right? So I talk in the book about building like a tiny bit of margin around my time or a margin around my work. Sometimes this means setting deadlines that are, um, overly realistic, right? Like I know I can probably be done on the first, but I give myself until the 15th, just in case. Um, that's the way that I can make sure I'm doing the right kind of work. And that's the way I can make sure that I have the energy for the other projects. So it's hard, but trying to think like, not about the guilt, but think about like, now that you do have a little bit of space, like you can do your other work that much better. And with that much more, um, energy and, and then excitement. Yes. And I also loved how you talked about um, giving yourself check-ins and kind of mapping things out for the whole month of, you know, if you have, okay, so right now I'm working on, I have a retreat coming up um, right after this episode comes out and I have a month left to get everything done. But for me, you know, I'm more disorganized. I like to work last minute and I don't plan it out very well. But once I read the book, I was able to go through and kind of section off what needs to be done each week. And so then once I finish those tasks, I can say, oh, look, I really do have this time that I can create or read or go for a walk or whatever. And I don't have to feel guilty because I know that those other tasks are assigned for next week and there's plenty of time for them. Um, And I know you're like, duh, but that was like, a revolution in my mind. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I, I love that. I think that's exactly right. I, I think that the benefits of check-ins, um, you know, setting it. So you perfect example, right? You're planning for this event. So if you can come up with, you know, by week one, I want X done by week Y I want, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you can break it down, then you do that little sense of accomplishment, right? Like that little milestone at the first check-in and second check-in, it does really free you up because then you're not, you're not so worried about getting it all done because you know that you just have to get this one part done. So I think instead of looking at check-ins or deadlines as stressors on ourselves, if we look at them as like almost little rewards, like we're we're giving ourselves permission to get to that point and then take a break. um, I do think that's so important, but you mentioned, you know, you like to work last minute and um, that's something that I want to be really careful about because for some people working last minute, they, they love it. And I would never say to that person, like, you need to get it all done early because if if you have a workflow that works or if you already have a system or if you already feel like things are going great, that's awesome. Like I, I would never want anyone to feel like they should change their plan because I think there are so many 
different ways to work successfully. So don't worry. Like if, if you like what you're doing, I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, no, this definitely has to be done in a certain time. <laughs> so I definitely need, I definitely needed that. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> okay. So talking about planning, do you actually set time in your schedule that you're like, Hey, I'm not going to go to the warehouse today. I'm going to spend four hours sewing this morning while the girls are at work or at school. Yes. Yes, I definitely do. I, um, I plan to go to the warehouse three. So for people who are like, what is she talking about? I, I ship, um, the, my get to workbook planner and my products myself. And so I have a warehouse here in San Diego and I do it all myself. So if I don't go to the warehouse, the books don't go out. Um, so I try to go to the warehouse, you know, four days a week when it's not busy season. Um, and then that means that I am sure to have a day where I'm not making that trip and I'm just, you know, staying home obviously doing various activities. I sometimes schedule a lot of like activities at the same time. So, you know, I'll purposely schedule two podcast calls in one day, um, or I'll save up, you know, errands and run all of those at one time. Like I do try to batch things because I find that it helps my workday flow a little bit better. Um, and getting up for a podcast is a little bit like stressful, right? It takes a little bit of different energy than, just packing orders by myself. And so if I can kind of get up that energy and then keep that energy to ride through two podcasts, that's really great. And so something that I, I want to make sure I do. And are you actually writing down in your planner time for creating? Or do you find that that just kind of falls in once you finish? Yeah, I don't, I would never write like that, but I, I would be specific in what the thing I want to do is. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, right now I'm working on this project for a sponsored post and it's a creative project. And so today it says in my planner practice blank, because I want to make sure I get my rhythm down for that. So I'm really intentional about what the just for fun, you know, like what the just creative thing is. Um, and we mentioned, you know, I sew a lot of garments. And so I may specifically write like cut out shorts or sew together top. Like I, I would be as, I would be really specific on what that project is. That is such a golden piece of advice there for creative people. Cause <laughs> you know, the other day I had a moment where I had time and I was sitting in the floor of my craft room and I was looking around and I was like, okay, I could scrapbook, I could paint, I could finish that painting, I could start a weaving and instead I like called a friend. And I was like, I yeah. just... Which is, which is also yeah. valuable. It was fantastic. <laughs> I, you know, it was. Yeah. But you know, I just didn't yeah. know what to do with myself. I just had too much, too many choices. Um, and so I like that choosing exactly the task that you're going to do so that you're planning ahead, you're putting it in your time and you know exactly what you're going to work on. So you can go right into it. You can pick up your paints and, you know, jump into the painting versus doing what I did and doing a quick scan and be like, mm, those all sound like too much work. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's going to be times that you write down paint and you look at your planner and you're like, no, like I, I don't want to paint right now. And then you do something else. And I think that's fine because there's going to be other times when you write down paint and you look at your planner and you're fired up and you go. And so I think a lot of this, and again, I talk about this, but a lot of it is building habits and building structure and building routine so that you can break those habits, break that routine um, and think outside of that structure, right? Like it's, you're just trying to set yourself up for success. And even if 50% of the time you actually do the thing on time, like you wanted, um, that 
potentially is better than what you were doing before. So I'm all about that. I think that's the goal is progress. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about starting things, but let's talk about stopping things. So you say in the book, I stop things more frequently than I start things. The only reason I see anything to completion is because I start a lot of things. Okay. So tell us what have you stopped lately? Oh man. Um, Right now I have I have a lot of, so again, we talk, this is going back to sewing because that's what I'm doing so much of. Um, I so frequently make lists of sewing projects I want to do. I even go so far as to buy a pattern and I buy the fabric. Um, and then I get going on that project and I realize it's never going to work. Um, or I realize I don't even want this. I, I like this finished garment. I won't even want. Um, or I guess an even more recent, more recent, like better example is I, had this, I wanted to make dining room. I wanted to make art for my dining room. And my plan was to create large quilted pieces of art and have them framed. And I went as far as to start. I I like began a whole one. I kind of planned them out. I sketched them out. um, And then I made one and I couldn't get the energy or the motivation to finish. Like I I just, I couldn't. And I, I don't know if it was because I didn't actually want the finished result. I don't know if it was because I realized the framing of these pieces, it was going to have to be custom frames. It's going to be really expensive. And so I don't know if I just, I didn't want to even get to that point. Um, But for a few months, I kind of had this project on my list. It was something I wanted to do. And then it wasn't until last weekend where I was like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just going to do something easy. And I took some photos and I got some big frames and we can post a picture or something in the show notes so people can see. Um, But I ended up doing a project that, I love. It cost me probably 10% of what the other one was going to cost. It took me no time. Um, and I'm so much more, I'm so, so happy with it. And so that would be a perfect example of something where I planned to do, I even got started and then it just languished on my list. And I realized, you know what, this isn't right. And I was able to quickly change it into something better. I am really good at quitting things, but I'm really bad at letting them go. I recently redid my office, my studio space, and I have an entire cabinet now of unfinished projects. So I'll do the same thing you talked about. I, you know, start, start on something, decide I don't want to do it anymore for whatever reason. I'm just not interested. Um, but then I just like push it to the side and then those projects just sit there and haunt me. And even like a book that I'm reading, you know, I'll stop reading it, but I'll leave it on my iPad, you know, downloaded just in case maybe one day I'm going to get back to it. So how do you let go and like mentally move on from stuff you're done with? Yeah, I'm sitting here quietly nodding. Yeah, I I relate a ton. I don't have a closet of unfinished, but I definitely have a basket. I can see it right now from my desk. Um, And so what I do, I, I do let the kind of in progress stuff pile up for about two or three months. And then I calmly and rationally go through that, go through those, that project bin. And I, you know, donate materials where it makes sense to donate, or I like tear apart what I can to save some stuff or I recycle or I throw away and I move on. Um, and I do it frequently enough that it doesn't feel painful. It just feels like part of my process. Um, sometimes seeing a project that's half in progress, like sometimes I'm like, Oh, this is actually closer to done than I thought. And I actually just do finish some of the projects. Um, some of them, seeing them half done makes me think about something else. Like think about a different project that I'm actually much more excited to finish. Um, so then that gets me going. And then as I mentioned in the book, you know, just freeing up that space, like clearing out that closet, 
Emptying that basket is such a gift that you can give to yourself. Um, And yes, like you've already spent time. You've probably already spent money. You've already done a lot for that project. But (laughs) if you're not going to finish it, right, carrying it around is a disappointment. I love the word that you used, haunt. Like sometimes just those projects that we're not done with can really haunt us. And, And then we feel limited creatively because in the back of our mind, we're thinking like, yeah, but you never finished that. You never finished that. You know, that's, that's really hard. And, and I don't, I, I wish I had a better answer other than you got to clear it out. But, but I do think that it's a hugely important part of being creative is knowing that some stuff isn't going to work and you, you got to let it go. No, I think that is perfect advice. Um, exactly. Like you said, like when I did this, I went through things, I found like a weaving that was finished. It just literally needed to be hung up. Um, so silly stuff that I just needed to get around to. Um, but you're right. I let them pile up for too long. And I like that you said it's just part of your process. So it's not so hard for you. And I definitely let things pile up. And so that is a really good, um, tip for me to make that more consistent, to go through that cabinet and toss out those things that I'm clearly not going to do anymore and, and to reuse them, of course. So I think that was really helpful. Good, good. (laughs) Um, Okay, so talking about getting rid of things, in the book you share about the idea of opting into the things you want to do, like creative projects, but you have to opt out of other things first to be able to do that. And currently, the internet is so inspiring. There's Instagram and online courses and Pinterest. So how do you pull away from all the creative input online and actually get creative instead? How are you dealing with the digital overwhelm? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I talked about this idea of creating more than you consume, right? And so we consume so much, as you said, it's Pinterest, it's Instagram, it's literal endless scrolls of stuff. And if you wanted to, you could just see new things forever. You could just consume images forever. Um, That's something you can do. And so I think for me, it's like understanding that, right? Like these digital apps or platforms or whatever it is, like will always be there um, on purpose. They never want me to leave. And so I have to, it's not enough to just like think you're going to leave. I have to be like proactive about leaving. And so part of that is coming up with a hobby or coming up with a creative project that you're so excited by, you don't want to be scrolling instead. I used to talk about how I only want to read books that make me forget that I have a phone. Because I've noticed for myself, when I'm in a book that's kind of boring or it's like not, it's not drawing me in, I will casually reach my phone to check the time. And then I'm like suddenly scrolling for 10 minutes instead of reading. And so part of it, I think, is making sure that we're picking things that are exciting and really filling us up so that we don't want to be on Instagram or on the apps. Um, I think you can be even more intentionally deliberate. Like at the beginning of August, I took a week off of Instagram where I I truly deleted it from my phone. I didn't post for work. I didn't post for fun. It was gone. And that was incredible because I realized like I spent a lot of time on Instagram personally. And so for me to not have my time go to that one app meant that I felt like an excessive amount of time. And that was really freeing. Um, I don't think I have to be off Instagram forever But it was a good reminder for me that when I need a break or when I have a deadline or when I really want to push through on a creative project, I can take it off and and it can be gone and I I can really focus. So potentially not not practical for everyone at all times, but it might be something to try if you feel like you're just caught in that inspiration cycle and you need a real physical break from it. 
Yeah, and I uh, this I feel like this episode is turning into me admitting all of my hoarding tendencies. Um, I, I loved in the book when you were like, "Say it out loud." Your email is a communication tool, and I was like sitting alone in my living room, yeah. and I was like, "Email is a communication tool." Like my right hand is up, you know. Um, and I do I like word, you know, craft inspiration in my inboxes. I'm on so many newsletters, and you know, um, you know, I teach at Creative Bug, and so, and I love everything that they do. So I'm constantly getting emails from them, and there's just so much. And so I love that. I love how you describe that. And we're totally going to tease that and make people have to go read the book to learn more about how to take back control of their inbox. Um, I felt like I was really aggressive in that email section. So I'm glad it clicked. <laughs> no, I literally was like That's a good. boy scout, like raising my hand. And I, was, <laughs> I loved it. Good, good. <laughs> All right. You have shared so much wisdom with us. So we're going to get to the lightning round of my favorite questions that I love to ask. Love to ask everybody. Um, what is your morning routine? Yes. Um, right now, my girls are back in school and my older one has to be there at seven. We have to leave the house at 739. If we're not at the door, we're late. Um, and so right now I have my alarm set for 605. My goal is to be up before my girls so that I can have, it's not like I do creative work. I literally sit on the couch, eat my breakfast and scroll Instagram and like read the news app. And like, it's sort of my calm, (laughs) what feels like to me, a calm entry. Um, And then about an hour is spent getting them out the door, making sure lunches are packed and everyone's dressed. Uh, And then I get them all out and then come back to my desk, you know, around 8.30 and then it's email and getting into my day. So my first, you know, two and a half hours are spent on kind of life. And then I feel like I really get into like my, my work um, after that. Awesome. What does living a creative lifestyle look like for you? You are the queen of this. So I'm really excited about your answer. Yeah, I think for me, a creative lifestyle is um, having something that is exciting to me and having something that is challenging to me. So I often feel like when I get, I'm always excited to, you know, get something down and feel comfortable with a project. Like that's always exciting. Um, but I find like I'm at my best when I'm actively being challenged and learning. And so if I find myself too comfortable for too long, then it's like, okay, like what's the next thing I can do? What's the next thing I can learn? Um, so that would be my goal. Always like seeking out excitement and challenge. Yes, I totally agree. I love that answer so much. And I definitely can see you living that out as you are, like I said, starting a new cookbook challenge, trying to sew your own wardrobe, expanding your garden. Um, so many perfect examples of how you are embodying what living a creative lifestyle looks like without, you know, needing to be in your craft room 23 hours a day. Yeah, good, good. Thank you. Yeah, I sorry, really I, I do think that um part of a creative lifestyle too is just pushing it, right? It's expanding what you think creativity is. And especially for people who may who are listening who may have like their one thing. Like they may be amazing at painting. That's awesome. Um, I think though too, you can add more creative exploration in other things that feel just for fun. So, okay. Yeah. Just adding that. Perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay. Last question. What is your favorite resource for creativity? Yeah, this is such a good question. I think that 
Um, I haven't mentioned it in a long time. So The Art of Possibility. It was a book by um, Benjamin and Rose, Roseman Zander. I'm 95% sure it's them. Um, they're a husband and wife couple, and they read a book called The Art of Possibility. It's amazing. I read it probably 12 years ago at this point, and I still think about it often. Um, it's a nice, easy, fun, creative read for people. Awesome. Perfect. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. And fact, do you know that your name gets dropped sometimes when I ask that question here? No, but I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, you are the most referenced person on this podcast. I constantly, in my show notes, I'm constantly linking to you. People love you, Elise. Thank you. I, uh, I'm like my cheeks hurt. I'm smiling a lot. So thank you. <laughs> awesome. So um, silly question, what is new with you? Yes. So the book, um, Big Dreams, Daily Joys, you can get it anywhere books are sold, um, is out and available. And if you just kind of want to find, but the, the, the place I am most frequently is at Elise Joy on Instagram. And my website is elisejoy.com. And you can go there for the book and get to workbook. You can find a link. Um, I mentioned the blog. I don't blog as much anymore, but I have a decade of archives um, that you can find through there as well. Awesome. And I'm going to be giving away a copy of the book on my Instagram. So if you guys pop, if you guys pop over to my Instagram, you'll see the giveaway there. It'll be on this episode's like announcement post. Um, and you can enter to win a copy of Elise's book that I will be so happy to send you. Um, so just head over to my Instagram at Lauren Likes Blog and you can enter to win a copy for yourself. Um, but you guys, I just cannot tell you again how incredible this book is for not only for your productivity, but for your creativity. Um, like I was telling Elise before, it feels like she took a bunch of little building blocks in each chapter and you can take them, you know, they're so bite-sized and easy to use in the book and you go implement them, you know, one at a time. And eventually when you step back, you're going to have this big productive life full of joy and creativity. And the book is just a perfect resource for helping you. If you need to get a little more organized, if you want to find more time to be creative and you guys are just going to love it. And the illustrations are so incredible. I can't wait for you guys to see them and to dive into Elise's book. Elise, thank you so much for being here. It is such an honor to talk to you and we just loved learning from you today. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for that review of the book too. So thank you. I appreciate yeah, it. Awesome. You guys will go connect with Elise. Um, as always, all the episode information show notes are at lauren-likes.com slash podcast. And we will see you next week for another episode of how she creates and make sure you come over and enter the book giveaway. Thank you so much for listening to how she creates. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to know more about the show, please visit lauren-likes.com slash podcast and be sure to sign up for the newsletter to know when new episodes are out and to stay up to date with all of the crafty creative happenings around here. If you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on iTunes, that would be so helpful to let me know what you thought of the show and share with all your friends on Instagram by tagging me at Lauren Likes blog and using the hashtag howshecreates. Until next week, I hope you get curious and go explore something.